electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, Oatly in hot water. Oat Milk's short seller goes on the record about his firm's allegations of shady accounting, greenwashing, and an overvalued stock price. Spruce Point's Ben Axler. What are investors buying here at a $12 billion valuation, a company that has nothing proprietary other than oats, water, and cocoa and ingredients? This is a busted IPO. Racial inequity, opportunity, and public health after 16 months of a pandemic. A new report on the state of Black America from the National Urban League. CEO Mark Morial. A one-time commitment doesn't create a new normal. A consistent long-term commitment creates a new normal. And Johns Hopkins professor and report co-author, Dr. Lisa Cooper. We are going to have to realize how connected we are. We've seen over the past 18 months that when one person is ill, we all are at risk. Those stories, but first, a watch party, if we can find something to watch. If they're spending $17 billion on content, let's get cracking, all right? Because you got nothing right now. Is this their fault or your fault? No, because you've fault. watched so much. If you see a problem, why not fix it yourself? There's people have book clubs. I think you should start a TV club. I agree. The current TV club. It's Thursday, July 15th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe, you watched yesterday AMC, GameStop, big yep. meme stocks. They've yep. been chopped in half from their June highs at this point. AMC was down another 15% yesterday, fourth day in a row of declines. GameStop was down by about 6.9%. Both of these stocks, again, cut in half from their June highs, but they're still pretty strong year to date if you've been watching these numbers. Exactly, exactly what I would have said. It was yeah. 72 was the high on AMC, almost right. in the last six weeks or whatever. But then, you know, GameStop's come down a lot, but it's still $161 up from. GameStop is a gain of 789% year to date. So what is, AMC what do you think up 1,476%. No, I did. Do you know where AM, do you know what AMC's low is, Sorkin? Uh, for this calendar year? No, and this, not calendar, just the 52 week low, it has a one handle. A one handle. Right. $1.92. So that went to 72. So at 72, right. it had a market cap of like 35 or 36 billion dollars. Now it's uh, the market cap as of yesterday, not including the day itself, was 17 billion. Yeah. So it's like big moves down, but still, what most people, based on a, a fundamental reading of, of the company, probably would still say the stock is. It's hard to explain why it is where it is, which is the oh, nature. Oh, I don't of think the there's a question of, uh, that that. It, and by the way, you look at every analyst report, I think they all, they obviously all have sales on the stocks. I'm at now, though, at this sort of curious point trying to figure out what is the right price for either of these companies. It clearly, I don't think it's a dollar for AMC either, by the way, because they've now raised 
several billion dollars or, or over a billion dollars to pay down some debt that changes that should change a bit of the outcome, not to say it's, it's, you know, it's going to turn into a growth story. And you have the same thing with, 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 um, with GameStop in terms of not on the debt side, but what do they actually do with that cash? So I think, it, I think, we have, I think to we, some degree something has changed. I mean, it's sort of strange how you can will something into being. I'm not saying you can will it into the price it's at today, but, but it's a probably in a very the unique elixir. way worth more than what Jay, it was, obviously, right. at the lows. There's a lot that goes into the, the mix, the elixir, the perfect storm. Um, there's the Fed. There's a lot, you know, there's Reddit. There's uh, momentum. And we have this institutional memory. There's two we can remember. We can remember, and they're similar. They were in similar businesses. Blockbuster seemed obvious. We watched that just play out. Because no, is there any, I think there's one left somewhere. Is so we, we knew that was happening. And then there was this company that like would mail you a DVD and you had to send it back and it was a total pain in the ass and that was gonna go by the wayside too, but they thought it up, they figured it out, right? They figured out streaming. So can either one of these companies be the Netflix model versus the Blockbuster model? How do you do it? GameStop, there's all kinds of ways they're saying they can do it, but is that really I don't think that possible? GameStop, I don't think the plan for GameStop is to turn itself into Netflix per se. I think the plan for GameStop is to turn itself into Best Buy, which is to say to have an online platform and actually sell some stuff on it and to have a, a selection of stuff at a store that people actually want to buy in store. And it's not some kind of ragtag mess of just a question, I mean, place, I don't, I don't which is what much, most of GameStop but, looks like. But Best Buy, you need to go in to, to learn how you know, you need the Geek Squad to Geek put it squad, all together say, that's for the, you. Because otherwise you could buy buy it direct from right. the, the game maker. GameStop always uh, had the geeks in there that you could, you know, anybody that, I've been to GameStop a lot. My son likes, he's like to go there. And the guys, they, they look like guys that were really good at, at figuring out how to work gaming. And they were always there as consultants. But that didn't help it from having a, what some thought was a, not a great future because it was so brick and mortary. So I don't know. I, I, I mean, obviously, it's got to get multi-channel, but could it? I mean, Netflix really did spoil all of us in terms of what is what was, they were able to do. Now they're, you know, now they produce the great content too. I mean, it's really it done an amazing job. I remember when I thought it was an innovation that they actually would take the DVDs back through the mail. I know. I didn't have to go back to, block, to Red Blockbuster. Redbox. Redbox does right. that too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we, we and it's a good business it's like the um, it's like the gift card business i look in our drawer and it's like what a great business All what a great business no one spent. ever spent any of this money that that, that we got it's right. the best business in the world and i think redbox is too because we always rent four movies and like three days later on vacation we're, yeah. we're like well didn't see that one nope didn't watch that one nope didn't get to watch that one and speaking of Netflix, Greg Karnak, this is the great yeah, Karnak. I can't believe it. How did, and here's Netflix. They didn't stick that in after our conversation. No, but we clearly didn't read ahead either. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You know. Netflix is planning a bigger push into the gaming world. It hired veteran video game maker Mike Verdu from Facebook. He previously worked at Electronic Arts, Zynga and Atari. The company's entry into gaming has been slow. It's a mobile game based on Stranger Things series, also a multi-platform game that's based on its Dark Crystal spinoff movie. 
And you may remember we told you last week when producer Shonda Rhimes agreed to a new contract with Netflix, it included revenue streams outside of just movies and television, including games and virtual realities. A big signal as to what was to come. Stock was up yesterday, and you look this morning uh, up about 2.6% to 562.13. Just more of this convergence where everybody competes with everybody. And you can really think of gaming as the new medium. It's, you know, you're not talking about gaming versus videos. It's everybody competing for eyeballs and com competing for the screen time that exists because there's a limited amount of it. You remember, famously, Reed Hastings was asked who his competition was, and at one point, his answer was sleep. Yeah. That's what he competes <laughs> with, sleep. Uh, and more recently, uh, he has said that he competes with Fortnite. And so when you start to think about just, just eyeball time, that, that's what this is. There's a limited the amount. on the gaming of, front, right. among, the, among the analyst community is, do they launch their own gaming platform and effectively try to just leverage the, the 200 million people that are, are on, that are subscribers currently, to try to sell them a new product, effectively an ad, either an add-on product or just a new product, use that as a marketing device, or do they ultimately include gaming into the service itself as a way just to continue to capture more eyeballs and how that, the economics well, of that would You mean would buy work. somebody? Because gaming is not cheap. I don't know if they would buy somebody, but they could start just making games and actually literally the games could be on the quote-unquote service. I and mean, if you think what Xbox, it depends if you're trying to make a console service or if they think they could actually do it over the net, sort of as a cloud-based uh, situation similar to uh, what Xbox, you know, Xbox, uh, Xbox Cloud, which obviously has its issues uh, well, I've got some advice for them. They, trying to get on, one, get on an iPad or an iPhone. If they're spending $17 billion on content, let's get cracking, all right? Because you got nothing right now. It's awful, Netflix. All right, so let's get moving. Is it the pandemic? You weren't able to, to shoot or something? Because Is this there's, their fault or your fault? No, it's because their fault. Because you've watched so much. It's you've their fault, and I'm going to tell you something. We're looking for a new thing to watch. And, and so I see, I'm, I'm like surfing around and go, Look at this Hemingway uh, thing. This this looks like it could be really good. It's like three or four episodes. So we decided we're going to watch that. And then uh, I go, wow, I wonder what. And then I look at it and I go, Tanopi, Ken Burns was on. I interviewed him all about this Hemingway <laughs> documentary yeah. like a month ago. And it totally. Or two or three months ago. Yeah, yeah, two or three months ago. Yeah. And. I had to like rediscover are. that Ken Burns had a, uh, but it's good. It's good. We started watching. Give amazing. it a couple Hem months. Amazing. You, have you seen it? Take, it's amazing. I and haven't, anyway. but take a couple, take a couple months off, and I promise you, there's going to be amazing content on all of these platforms. Well, you got just something you're working months. on for Netflix, Sorkin? How do you? you, you no, you, no. Like I'm just saying that there's so there's something no, no, amazing there's so much coming content, to make the too. Production right now that I think is going to hit soon. Give it to me. Like all of these platforms. I need it. They I mean, need, I'll, I'll go through the list. Everywhere. I will tell you, Joe, and I know the producers are, Max. I think we're, we're off there. But I will say, on HBO Max, which I just was, I, there's, you know the show Hacks? You yeah, have a cameo it in it. I watched all that. I, know, know, I, I got to the end of that. I'm waiting for the next uh, season. And it, they already teased us about how it's going to start next season with something that she did with those producers over in England. And she ratted uh, or, um, don't say I anything. I haven't seen it. You've had too much time on uh, your hands. Uh, you, huh? you have I don't binged, have too much time on my hands. I just of need hours some. Of television. You know what? You know what's the, they rebooted uh, all things great and small for on PBS, oh. and I think that yeah. might be good. But that I got to buy. Okay. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to get, get we're, gaming. I'm not playing games on Netflix. I think Joe, you should you should start. You know, there's people have book clubs. I think you should start a TV club. 
I agree. It'd be the current current TV club, and we can anyway. Did you we'll finish call we'll my agent. Ma- you finished call my agent, right? Did you see she, the? I haven't the, finished yet. I haven't finished yet. The but, star you know, maybe, call my agent is in this Matt Damon movie, Stillwater. I think that. Yeah. Joe Kernan should have a TV club show on Peacock. I agree. So it's streaming. I agree. Okay. Next on Squawk Pod, Oatly. Will oat milk sour or will it get better with age? Short seller Spruce Point is betting on the former, accusing the brand of greenwashing and shady accounting. Founder Ben Axler on the big beverage call. Oatly is one of those inflated bubble stocks. You know, all bubbles normalize. We're making a bet that this bubble is going to normalize. We'll be right back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Roll alpha, up track. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. So how did you take your coffee this morning? Or your smoothie? Or your cereal? More and more people are using oat milk thanks to the latest health slash sustainability trend spearheaded by Swedish brand Oatly. You may recall back in May, Oatly went public on the NASDAQ, giving it a market value of about $13 billion. The road to the public market was long. It's a millennial brand born in the 90s, like a couple of your Squawk Pod producers, but it was paved with well-intentioned celebs, Jay-Z, Oprah, Natalie Portman among them. For the record, they backed the milk, not the producers. Anyway, Oatly CEO Tony Peterson actually joined us on our TV broadcast the morning of his debut. The reason why we started as a company, it was to create the best milk period. We didn't try to mimic animal-based milk or anything like that. We just wanted to do a milk that was better for people and the planet. The rise in Oatly's popularity is largely rooted in health and sustainability claims. We're one of the very few companies with an official claim in Europe stating that if you drink three glasses of oat milk every day, you either maintain or lower your cholesterol. But as of yesterday, we're looking a little bit more closely at those claims. Activist short seller Spruce Point Capital Management is accusing Oatly of some shadiness. Spruce Point is accusing Oatly of overstating its revenue and its gross margins to investors, and of cherry-picking data to support a claim that it's a better milk for the environment. Spruce Point's report of Oatly's shady accounting and greenwashing has prompted the firm to take a short position on the stock, claiming that it could be up to 70% overvalued. For reference, short sellers borrow shares and then sell them, betting that the stock will fall. When the stock does fall, they rake in a profit. 
Oatley fired back after the report came out, underlining that Spruce Point stands to benefit if its stock declines. And its stock did decline. In the wake of the report, Oatley's stock price fell to below $20 a share. That's its lowest since debuting at around $17 a share. Spruce Point's founder joined our TV broadcast to explain the short. Here's Andrew kicking off that interview. We should tell you that CNBC reached out to Oatley regarding the claims and received this statement in response before we get going even on a conversation about this. The company saying that they are aware that a short seller is making what they say are false claims and misleading claims regarding the company. This short seller stands to financially benefit from a decline in Oatley's stock price caused by these false reports. Oatley rejects all these false claims by the short seller and stands behind all of the activities of financial reporting. Joining us right now to talk about all of it is... uh, the, is the company's founder and chief investment officer from Spruce Point, Ben Axler. Good morning to you, Ben. Uh, you, you threw the kitchen sink at this company. There are so many different issues uh, that, that I know you believe are problematic. Uh, the one that caught my eye, though, is this idea that you believe that there are phantom sales uh, taking place at this company. I want to drill in right there uh, and start the conversation there. What do you believe is the problem? Well, it's funny. We were talking about you know the Chinese stocks and the and the lack of disclosure and the regulation that that needs to take place there. You know, Oatly's a Swedish company that was founded in 1996, and it IPOs and only provides two years of audited financial statements. And it's gone through three auditors in six years. And so what we did was t- we took a very careful look at the revenues, and what we found is post IPO, the company filed an investor presentation and footnoted the fact that its production is estimated. Well, if the production's estimated, how can we get any comfort that the revenue isn't estimated as well? And the company does not give a lot of good quality disclosures about what's driving the revenues. To fuel their growth, they've had to give enormous incentives and discounts to get on shelves. It's brutally competitive in the beverage space, and they don't disclose any of this. So we find you know, evidence of revenue numbers, particularly in the U.S., being misstated. We've talked to former employees knowledgeable about this. And so we have real concerns about what are investors buying here at a $12 billion valuation, a company that has nothing proprietary other than oats, water, and cocoa and ingredients. Look, I I think there's two issues here, and I want to try to break them apart. There's one, which is your allegation just around their sustainability and then sort of the marketing claims. Uh, That to me, and I I don't want to downplay that, uh, but that is an issue that will be either dealt with or not effectively by consumers, the FTC and the like, whether people want to buy the product or not and believe it's sustainable or not. That, that's one issue. The other issue to me, which is actually much more concerning, if true, and I, I recognize it's just an allegation here, is about the numbers unto themselves. Uh, you, you've made an argument around market share, for example. So explain what you mean uh, by uh, what you think I, I, I'm suggesting, is, or what I think you're suggesting, is that there's a, a effectively false numbers based on what you're seeing in terms of market share? Well, I think it's irrefutable that they've lost market share in Sweden. That's their home market. We have data on that. We know that. The company stopped disclosing their market share numbers in their foreign Swedish filings. So I think that's a fact. What I think investors don't realize and what we're seeing evidence of now that they're public is that we believe they're starting to lose market share here in the U.S., And the U.S. is a big part of their growth story. It doesn't take a lot of work to do channel checks, to go into supermarkets, to go into cafes, to go see where it's being sold, that they're losing they're losing shelf space because they can't supply the market. And competitors like Chobani and Planet Oat, um, Silk that's owned by Danone, they're not going to sit around and wait. They're discounting prices heavily to gain share. 
You can also look online, you know, go to Amazon. I encourage you to go to Walmart, to Albertsons, go to Kroger's. We've been tracking this. We've been seeing that they've been losing promotional share on the website. We see that the prices have been coming down. So I think that's part of the story that people don't realize that this is a busted IPO and it's still trading above its IPO price at 17. Ben, what do you think is the fair, fair, fair market value for this company? I mean, look, Blackstone invested at a $2 billion valuation a year ago. And from what I can tell, all the fundamentals have gone negative ever since. Let's talk about commodity prices. You know, we're talking a lot about inflation. I mean, this is an oat milk company. Their biggest cost driver are oats, which are up 30% year to date, well, well above where they were when they IPO'd. They use rapeseed oil, which is like a canola oil. That's up over 30%. Right. So the number- But Ben, the whole Ben, Ben, Ben. Ben, th- there's two issues. Th- this is where I, this is where I think some of the the allegations you're making are getting confused. Th- there's an issue here, which is you can make an argument about the fundamentals of the company. You could say commodity costs are going up. You don't believe the company's is sustainable. Consumers aren't going to believe that, and, and and then and then come up with a valuation uh, issue there. And you might argue that the stock isn't wor- worth what it is today. I understand that argument. The other is that effectively you are alleging that these people are doing something arguably illegal by effectively either falsifying or providing misleading statements to the public about what's actually happening at the company. And and I, I the reason I keep going back to these two issues is they are different. Okay, so let me be crystal clear on this point. I believe that they are misleading the public about their gross margins. Okay, their gross margins are not in conformance with industry practices. Look at Beyond Meat. They also disclose that their shipping costs are not in cost of goods sold and in SGNA. Oatly does not disclose that their gross margins are not comparable to peers. So what does that lead me to, to conclude? If you do some analysis, we think their gross margins are 640 basis points overstated. So you have to normalize these financials to get an apples to apples valuation here. And Oatly is trading at a valuation above Beyond Meat with an inferior more narrow product line that makes less money. So why would I put a higher valuation on Oatly than Beyond Meat? You're asking me what I think the stock's worth. It's worth less than less than 10 bucks. Final question. Uh, you mentioned uh, Blackstone. They were a major investor in this company. Uh, do you believe that they were deceived if, in fact, you believe these allegations are true? Or do you believe that they know them to, uh, to be false and they effectively deceive the public? Oh, I can't. I can't presume to know what Blackstone knows. I mean, you know, look, we do our own due diligence on the public information that we've assembled. I assume they've done their own due diligence. There's no way I can presume, you know, what they know or they don't ben, know. The reason, I, the, the reason I asked, Ben, the reason I'm asking the question is if you happen to be right, and, I, and we, we don't know at the moment, but if you're right, this would be a major black eye, not just for Oatly in, in truth, but for, for, for Blackstone, because this has been one of the more iconic companies. Jonathan Gray uh, has uh, put his name effectively be- behind this company. I don't know what you mean by iconic. I mean, this is a basic oat milk company, but but look, there's a lot of money sloshing around the system here. It has to find a place to go. Valuations are inflated. Oatly is one of those, you know, inflated bubble stocks. You know, all bubbles normalize. We're making a bet that this bubble, this oat milk bubble is going to normalize and the truth will come to the surface, whether or not the company's statements are accurate or not. Okay. Uh, ben, uh, thank you for joining us this morning. It's great to uh, be able to, to speak to you and, and uh, get all these questions answered, and we'll see uh, whether the market speaks or perhaps whether regulators speak. Uh, looking forward to seeing you again very, very soon. Cheese will be next. Still to come on Squawk Pod, recovering from three pandemics. 
National Urban League CEO Mark Morial, and the group's annual State of Black America report. 2020 was a wake-up call on a number of issues, and now we have an opportunity to rebuild. And Johns Hopkins professor Dr. Lisa Cooper, who studies the impact of race and economics on our health. We have to work together, and this is a complex issue. Whatever sector of society you're in, whatever neighborhood you live in, you have a role to play. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back uh, to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Lots going on uh, today. A new report highlighting racial inequity in the wake of the pandemic and charting a path forward. The report is part of its annual series of the state of black America and urges America to continue the unification that was present in the early days of the pandemic last year. I want to welcome uh, to the program this morning, the president and CEO of the National Urban League, Mark Morell, uh, and Dr. Lisa Cooper, director of John Hopkins Center for Health Inequity and a co-author of the report. Dr. Cooper is the author of Why Disparities, Everybody's Problem. And I uh, want to thank both of them uh, for joining us this morning. Mark, I'm going to start with you uh, to you. sort of walk us through uh, the, the, the highlights, if you will, of the report. And, and what, is the, what is the newest element here? I think the new element, uh, Andrew, is to understand that 2020 was a wake-up call on a number of issues. And now we have an opportunity to rebuild. But rebuilding should not be a return to before. Rebuilding should be this call to action to build a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive America when it comes to our economy, when it comes to health care, when it comes to the justice system. So it's a broad uh, call to action. Authors like uh, Dr. Lisa Cooper, uh, with her brilliance and insight, help uh, those who will read the report to understand what that means. Uh, and that's what we've tried to focus on, is a forward-leaning, uh, prescriptive approach to this, more than being diagnostic, more than simply identifying the issues and the problems, but saying, because 2020 rocked this nation the way it did when it comes to health care, the economy, and justice, Let's commit across the board, the public sector, the private sector, the non-governmental sector, to build a more diverse, if you will, right. equitable and inclusive America. I think that's the call to action of this report. So, doctor, what does it mean? Well, you know, I think it means that we are going to have to realize how connected we are. We are inextricably connected. We've seen, you know, over the past 18 months that when one person is ill, we all are at risk. And so that's one of the things I talk about in my essay in the report and also in uh, my book, is that we have to work together. And this is a complex issue. Our health is, is interconnected. It means that everyone in whatever sector of society you're in, whatever neighborhood you live in, whatever state you right. uh, live in, you have a role to play. And so we need to form partnerships. 
But doctor, make it make it practical for the viewer. We have we have a number of, of business leaders who are watching this program right now, uh, political leaders, regulators. What 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 are we actually saying here? Well, we're saying that you can't only just focus on what's going on within your own organization or within your own business. You need to do that for sure. You need to look within your own organization to see if you have equitable practices and policies and that you are being fair and that you are making sure to address people holistically um, in your own organization. But then you also need to look beyond your walls and see who are your partners within your community? Who are those people that have a role to play in helping to uh, create a more healthy community and work with those folks. Offer services to your employees or um, build programs together that focus on health and well-being and that make your, uh, your organization one that is more productive and you know uh, just more humanistic, but also it's better for us on an overall economic level if we are a healthier society and more equitable. I wanted to know who you think is doing it right. Because I think that one of the things when we have these kind of conversations that's so hard is we have leaders who listen to this and they, they say, I know I want to do better, but they don't know necessarily what the North Star looks like or what the, what the, great, you know, the great example of this is. I'd love them to call me because I'd uh, have that more extensive conversation with them. But Andrew, in 2020 and following 2020, many American businesses made commitments they issued calls to action just yesterday. A number of them took a strong stand on democracy and voting. And I want to applaud those who've done that. Uh, it's the right first step to take. Uh, the challenge is going to be to be consistent, to follow through and recognize that a one-time commitment doesn't create a new normal. A consistent long-term commitment creates a new normal. There are a number of companies uh, with whom we have worked. Uh, I'll just single out a new initiative we announced last week in Philadelphia with PepsiCo, uh, which uh, is going to pump dollars and mentoring and counseling and training into the black restaurant sector, uh, equity grants to help them stand back on their feet. There are other companies with whom we've entered into diversity agreements uh, like T-Mobile and Comcast, uh, uh, as, well as, uh, as well as Charter Communications. There are a number of companies who've taken very significant steps. And my challenge and my call to action and my encouragement is to follow through, make that consistent, ensure you're getting the results. The role of the private sector cannot be understated in this important push for a more equitable America. And many are have taken important steps. Uh, and I think that I want to just say to those who've not, uh, I think it's important that you do. Your customers expect it. Investors are now demanding it. Uh, the general public is demanding it. Elected officials want to see it because it aligns with how this nation is indeed changing. So uh, we will lift up those who are uh, taking the right steps, but encourage them to do more, to be sustainable, and to be consistent. Mark, appreciate it. Doctor, appreciate it. We should mention that Mark is going to be leading a group of activists, uh, elected officials and leaders in health, education, the economy. They're going to have a deeper conversation about these issues. And you can watch that at 2 p.m. Eastern time. It's streamed on the National Urban League's stateofblackamerica.org. And we want to thank both of you this morning. Thanks. 
That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.